be seated. All right, well, uh, Wednesday night we began our time with explaining movie pop plots badly. And uh, I, I, was, I was pretty impressed. You know, you can take a, a terrible description of something and somehow you're still able to identify it. Let's see how good of a job you can do with song lyrics that have been translated through different languages. They've, they've gone through the, the telephone game, the thing that people always describe the Bible, you know, when they want to come up with some objection to it. Like, well, how can you trust it, you know? It was in like Greek and then Latin and Spanish and English. Well, that's not how translation works in the Bible. But that is how Google Translate works with these song lyrics. So we'll get to see how they've been recycled a few times over. And you guys shout out when you think you know what song, uh, what song title uh, belongs to these lyrics. All right, let's do the first one. This has gone from English to Italian back into English. Hi, on the other hand. Wow. That's, that's either impressive or sad. Uh, most of uh, Adele's songs are impressive and sad. Uh, yeah, that is Hello by Adele. Uh, next one. From uh, English to Greek to Serbian, back to English. No one can tell me. You can't tell me anything. No one can tell me. You can't tell me anything. Yes, I'll take my animal. <laughs> that is Old Town Road. Yes. All right, next one. This has gone from English to Japanese to German to Somali to Italian to Norwegian back into English. And here it is. Let him be at peace. Oh, my goodness. Who fed you the answers to these ahead of time? This, I, I, I picked some of the easier ones because I didn't think y'all would uh, get it this, uh, this quickly. That is let it go from frozen. All right. I think we got one more of these. <laughs> English, Finnish, Estonian, back to English. Invite, you're a boy, make a loud sound. There's sometimes a big guy playing on the street. Your face is mo yeah. <laughs> yes, which apparently becomes we will vaccinate you, which I guess is welcome news in 2020. Um, you know, go ahead, Queen, help us out, solve the coronavirus, and that has been uh, named that badly translated lyric. Now, sometimes the experience of reading a book in the Bible, like Ecclesiastes, can feel a little bit like that. It. it not just the language that's being used, but some of the concepts. They're a bit jarring. They're a bit difficult to understand. They, they take a little bit of work and effort to receive from them. And yet it is amazing the amount of insight for every period of life that we experience under the sun that God speaks through to, to, to us through his word and, and, and in this book in particular. Now, raise your hand if you did your devotion time this morning, right? Day two, we haven't fallen off on devotions. Uh, raise your hand if you understood what you read this morning. All right, yeah, yeah. You can keep, you can hold them up high and proud, you know. Well done. Uh, why, why are we talking about all this? Maybe some of you are wondering that. Why organize a whole youth summer jam around a book like Ecclesiastes, you know, doesn't that belong like in the seniors ministry? Isn't this the kind of book of the Bible that they would be studying? Well, the author of this book, writing in his old age, writing, this is Solomon coming up in the end of his years, bringing wisdom that is needed, right? Wisdom is delivered to benefit the young. And he comes with this warning at the end of the book, chapter 12, verse 1. He says, remember also your creator, 
in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, or we could stick that in Google Translate and come up with before 2019 gives way to 2020, right? Before all this catastrophe suddenly arrives. But you know, as somebody who has grown up in the church and grown up with people in the church and now uh, walked as a, as a pastor for nine years and have had people come through youth ministry and into college and into their 20s and continue to relate with them. There are a couple of things that become faith challenges for young people who, who have grown up in the church, who have been around environments like this one, and yet they end up confronting things later in life that they, they don't know where to put it. And it's either trouble in their own personal world or trouble in the world around them. And, it, and it's like either they weren't given or they just never installed a category to place that in. There's, there's no box for a creation gone wrong, for an existence that is cursed, that's described as vanity and chasing the wind and it starts to touch and affect them or they see it in the headlines they they see news of sadness and heartbreak and tragedy and it has a withering effect on their faith and so here's here's the warning and here's the encouragement that ecclesiastes brings to you and to me and, and, and to you in particular, you at 13, you at 17 years old. It's get around God when you are young. Think good and big and, and sound thoughts about God. Develop convictions about him. Have moments of encounter. Learn theology when life hasn't burned you yet. Because it's really difficult to do that when your time comes. And we saw that Wednesday night. There, there's a time to be born. There's a time to die. And there's everything in between. There are times of rejoicing. And there are times of sorrow. And God uniquely uses the times of sorrow to do something in us. To form something in us. But it's, it's a bit like trying to build an airplane in midair. You know? They're not very successful. And so if, if you wait until you are under attack and unique moments of suffering have come, which for most of you, that hasn't come yet. It's in your future. You can guarantee it. There's nothing new under the sun. You need to, you need to have remembered your creator in the days of your youth. That there's a God, there's a creator he, he reigns. He has a, a purpose and a design for my existence and for the world and for right and for wrong. There are principles that are at work in this world. And he's good. He's created a good world. It's a broken world. But he is the creator. And so if there isn't any time and space in our world to think things that are challenging and hard, that's, that's not going to come to you later on. Right? So 
That's why we're talking about the vanity of everything this week and in the days of your youth. But I, I, I get it. It's hard, to, it's hard to pay attention to that, especially if it feels so outside of your experience. It's likely that some of y'all that either you just graduated high school or you're feeling the end of that, you're feeling the moments of transition, you're already starting to taste some of this. And those of you in seventh and eighth grade uh, might not as easily identify with this. But this is amazing. This is the benefit of wisdom. You, you get life experience ahead of time. That, that, that's what wisdom is. Wisdom is, is lived truth that's seasoned with experience. And yet as Christians, we don't just have to travel through life before that ever arrives. That, that's the whole point of revelation. You and I get to know things we wouldn't know without the help of God, who knows the end from the beginning. And takes that fullness and places it into the individual moment of time that you and I are in with help and perspective. Now, Ecclesiastes challenges us in this way. It, it, it says, don't just think about things that are outside of your experience. I want you to go all the way to the end. Right? I want you to think about your death. I want you to think about the fact that your life, you take it out of the refrigerator and it has an expiration date and, and that day's coming, Right? Some of you, you might not track with the food and the expiration date, and hopefully somebody in your household is paying attention to that. Eventually, you start to smell and taste that uh, this should not be in the fridge any longer. Um, any of y'all, like, you'll still drink milk, like, days and days after the expiration date? Nobody in here like that? See, this, this is a different day, you know, uh, in, my, in, in the days of my youth group, we've had hands, you know, thrown up everywhere. And then they were thrown up after they drank that milk, so that, that, that makes sense. Um, all right, so you and I, there is a moment. There, there is a day on the calendar that we don't know about where life is done. And everything from beginning to end of life on this earth, it exists under the sun. And this author wants us to benefit from that. Wants us to benefit from the, the limitation, the clarity, and the joy that knowing that's how life is can bring to us. There is something clarifying when you realize you have limited time. I, I was watching an interview recently with uh, Jim Carrey and Jimmy Fallon. They were, they were doing it over Zoom, uh, like everybody else these days. And uh, I was talking about Jim Carrey's uh, new book that's coming out, his, his novel, Memoirs and Misinformation. It's a novel, which is fiction, but I think the main character is basically Jim Carrey in some fictionalized version of it. But he, he was telling about how he was writing this novel. He was, on, he was on one of the Hawaiian islands with his daughter and working on it. And then his, his assistant picks up the phone and calls him frantically and says, you have 10 minutes to get off of that island because they are launching missiles your way. And obviously he was suddenly scared, trying to figure out how can I protect my daughter and just realizing the impossibility of being able to fix this moment. Here it is. And he said, once he realized that, what came into his heart was gratitude. Grateful for the life he has lived. Grateful for the opportunities he's had. Grateful for his family. There, there was a joy that arrived. Now, it ended up being some failed, <laughs> I don't know whose mistake that was to send out that emergency signal. Uh, but uh, obviously, he's still alive and Hawaii is still around. Even in 2020, Hawaii is still 
here. Uh, but this is, this is the theme of a, a book called Living Life Backward. The subtitle is How Ecclesiastes Teaches Us to Live in Light of the End. And he makes the point that the fact that, that our lives don't go on forever, it, it has a relativizing effect on everything. On what feels really urgent, right? Imagine this. You know, it's hard to even think about being in school right now, but imagine you are in school and you, and you have an exam coming up in three weeks. But since it's 2020, they have guaranteed that the end of the world is going to happen next week. Right? How worried are you going to be about that exam? Are you going to study for it? Are you going to prepare for it? Right? It, just, it, it becomes relativized given the brevity of, of life. It has an effect on everything else. Certain things get clarified and put in sharp focus. And we're free to live. And at the end of the book, he takes us to this end, right? Chapter 12, verse 13. What's your conclusion, man? The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is is the whole of your existence. You can have this completeness, this W-H-O-L-E, whole, in a world that is shot through with holes. That's how we described it Wednesday night. It's like the the fall came and, and... As an effect, holes got poked in every container of life so nothing can hold what we thought it would. And we go to take a sip out of it, we pick it up, and it's like, this is going to be enjoyable, and most of it's gone before it touches your lips because it's drained out through the holes. I thought about the, uh, the book and the, and the film Holes, right, with uh, Stanley Yelnats uh, digging holes that have to be the width, the, the, you know, the diameter of his sho- shovel, and it just seems so pointless. Every day, it's like, why do we do this? The, 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 the earth resists the shovel. This is a cursed life. And holes and holes and holes are showing up across the land. And yet you realize they're digging for treasure. There, there's gold that's there. There's something of value that is there, even though the landscape right now just looks pointless. We can take Shia LaBeouf off of the screen now. <laughs> Right, he gives this entire approach to life in the midst of our confusing and compartmentalized existence, in the midst of the dreams and the disappointments, in the ambitions and the anxieties in our recreation and our responsibilities. How are we supposed to live? Well, that's the point here. I love the way that Jay Packer describes it. Some of you would be familiar with J.I. Packer. He wrote um, one of the most important books of the 20th century called Knowing God. And he died last week. Uh, just another important life that has come to an end and a reminder of mortality. But he was 93 years old. Uh, the guy uh, never in his life used a computer. He, he wrote over 300 books and articles and they were all on a typewriter. Uh, somehow he resisted it to the end. Um, but he, he lived a, a troubled upbringing. You know, he, 
there's some pictures where you can see the shape of his head is a little odd because he was in this traffic accident when he was seven years old and there was a, like a crater in his skull and so he had to wear a metal plate and so he was made fun of as a child. He could never do sports. You know, he never could do anything athletic. Always felt out of place. And he said, I started to get real cynical. Just kind of, I don't care. Who cares about other people? Nobody cares about me. But he describes the help of a book like Ecclesiastes. And here, here's how he summarizes it. He says, it has been said that the Psalms teach us how to worship. Proverbs, how to behave. Job, how to suffer. Song of Solomon, how to love. And Ecclesiastes, how to live. How? With realism and reverence. With humility and restraint. Coolly and contentedly in wisdom and in joy. And by the way, that all that's in the verse we're considering tonight, and we'll take that apart. So first thing, the end of the matter. What, what, what do we need to know from the end? Well, the first is to revere God. He says to fear God. And here, here's a, an insight into biblical psychology. So much of the restlessness that we experience, the worry... The, the, the things that kind of, it's like it makes the hairs on the back of your neck stand up, the concern. It, it's driven by stuff that we fear. And if you pay attention to your strong emotions, what makes you angry? What makes you shut down? What makes you really insecure? What makes you anxious? about what's to come. If, if, if you pull on that and you kind of try to find its source and you locate it in the human heart, you will find something that you fear or something that you fear losing. And just think about what generates the kind of the freak out moments for you, the moments of panic, the moments of kind of intense disagreement with parents, Right? What, what causes you to go to war and fight with your friends? Often it's because they are, they're threatening something. They're threatening to keep something from you that makes you afraid. That you feel like, I can't manage life without that. Oh my goodness, mom, just kill me now because I can't go on. You have ended my existence, right? Where is that coming from? I, I can't manage without this. I am afraid of what life would look like if I lost it. Right? And some of you, you, you bite your parents' heads off because they're, they're keeping things from you and they don't want you involved with that friend group. They don't want you texting that person. They're keeping you away from whatever it is that you perceive as gain under the sun. Mom, that was going to get me further down the street. Dad, that was going to get me to where I wanted to go and now that's gone. And you find some way of punishing them because of that. We, we fear people's opinions, their approval. We can sing songs about freedom, but there's this internal noise. And for some of you, it's really loud. It's in every environment you walk into. It's playing in the background. It's like, well, what'd they think of that? I just said that. How'd they, how'd they take that? 
They think that was funny. I just told a joke, kind of. I don't think they thought it was a joke, though, you know. It's like there's this, this like internal laugh or boo track based on what we're doing and how we're saying. That gives us permission as to what we'll do or not because we're afraid of what they'll think. And so, and maybe your, your own Christianity, your own Christian walk is, it's like, hey, it can exist right here. It can, it, can, it can go to like from zero to level five, but, but no further because, I don't know, I just don't want to be one of those awkward people. Everybody else is kind of just doing this thing right here. Right? We're, we're fearing people and their assessment and what they can provide for us in the world under the sun. We can avoid things. We can be terrified of taking any Risks of trying new things, of putting ourselves out there, of doing things that are challenging because we, we don't want to look like a failure. Last thing we'd want to see is messing up and falling on our face. And, and, and there might be a lot of things you just opt out of. You're just like, nah, I'm not going to do that. No, nah, I'll show up for this, but not for that. And, and it's, your, it's, it's your craving of security. And your fear of unpredictability. That's setting the pace for you. Right? We, we fear losing things that the book of Ecclesiastes tells you and me. You're not going to get them under the sun anyway. Keep chasing the wind. It's never going to show up in your hands. So why are you so worked up about it not being there? Why are you afraid of losing it? Right? He takes that all the way to, to death itself. He, he just normalizes this. He normalizes so many of the experiences that we do everything in our power to stay away from. And he just says that happens. And it happens part of this world. Right? He sounds a little bit like Jesus. Who says, hey, you know what? The worst they can do is kill you. So it's okay. Cheer up. <laughs> you know, he, he says, don't fear the, the, the ones who can kill your body. And they're done. What should I do instead of that? I, I, I should fear the one who can send both body and soul in hell. The, 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 the answer to fearing all of these things that can be found under the sun is fearing the one who isn't constrained by those limits. He's, who's the creator of the sun and the earth and the one that my existence answers to. That's the end of the matter. Your life answers to God. You report to God. And so we're called to revere him. And why do we get so worked up about protecting what is going to vanish? Frantic to secure our place here and now becomes the motivating impulse of every decision. I recently read an interesting book, uh, The the Plague uh, Thought, um, you know, Maybe you want to pick this up, this one up uh, this year, and it's called the Genius Plague, and uh, it's about it's about this this fungal infection that develops in the Amazon, and and people start catching it, and and initially it has this amazing effect on their intelligence, and so their 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 mind works a lot faster, and they become smarter, and and even people that were having dementia and Alzheimer's. Their, their, their uh, ability to, to think through things and remember all of a sudden gets restored to them. And so they, they, they get sick, but then they get much healthier. 
but then they start working toward the interests of this, this fungal infection. And so then people start going to war to try to protect the Amazon because that, that's, that's where it's located. And then global politics starts being influenced and people are turning on one another and, and nuclear weapons are being launched, right? Because here, here's the effect that it would have on them. Their, their sense of dread or their sense of pleasure was being controlled by what infected them. And so they were still them, but every decision was processed through, will this, will this advance the cause of the fungus or not? Right? So they're, they're, they're serving something outside of them. We will always do that. We will always serve someone or something else, and that will hold sway over our emotions, over our ambitions, over our disappointments. And here, Ecclesiastes is saying, you know how to fix that? Make your life answer to God and God alone. And you will get to experience the freedom we've sung about. Here's a place in the book where this reverence for God shows up in chapter 5. Verse 1 says, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and he's beyond the sun, and you're on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. You know, he's just identifying there's something about our foolishness that we, we just say the things that make sense to us. And there's somebody's ideas that we're going to be listening to and speaking out of. And you can come into the church and do that. You can, come, you, can, you can enter into prayer before God and you're saying things to God that you just picked up from some social media post or the opinion of somebody else and that's what you want in your life and your world. So now that's framing even what you're praying about, right? We, we, we talk about whatever is reigning over our minds and, and, and he's saying, slow down and think about whose thoughts you're representing. Come before God carefully to listen, to say, God, I need your ideas because I picked up about a dozen stupid ideas yesterday and I need you to help me. I'm here to be humbled before you and to come with reverence and to give you attention because the running commentary in my head isn't helping. David Gibson says, fools gush out their own words instead of listening for God's words. When was the last time you approached God and said, I'm listening. Whatever you want to show me, whatever you want to tell me, whatever you want to adjust in me, whatever you want to take from me, I'm going to listen. It's an expression that we we fear him first and not anything else. To fear him is not to fear approaching him, but to, uh, to fear missing out on him. To fear being at a distance 
from him, to, to fear losing the, the effect that his presence is intended to have on us. Here's how Sinclair Ferguson puts it. He says, to fear God, to trust God, to love God, to know God, these are really one and the same. In fact, the fear of God about which the pundit, that's his word for the, the preacher in Ecclesiastes, speaks, arises from the discovery of God's love for us in our sin and weakness. It is the sense of awe that results from the discovery that he knows me through and through, means to destroy all that is sinful in me, and yet does, does so because he loves me with an intensely faithful love that stretches my mind and emotions to their limit. I love the way that he phrases that. But God knows us through and through. There, 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 there's no hiding from him. There's no putting on a front with him. He sees through it all. And, and you are never more honest in your life in a, in a world where we, we want to selectively present whatever version of us we think people will like. And I'll curate my feed to make sure I always look funny or impressive or attractive or I'm doing great things. Right? That's the culture that we are in. But there is never a more honest moment than when you're just before God. And he knows you through and through and loves you and wants you right there in his presence. That's amazing. That ought to cause us to awe. And fear of God leads to the second response here. Respect God's commandments. We fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of humanity. This is, this is our whole end of the matter. And, and God's commandments are to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And that's, that's his law, right? Why did God give the law? The, the law reveals his character, but it also, it, it, it gives us a way to navigate a world that is under the sun. It's help for living in a broken and fallen existence. It's, it's, it's light in a dark place. It's a navigation system in a disorienting life. And yet, you know, it's so profound, yet so simple. When, when, when you put God first, this was our theme of youth camp last, last year for Focus, right? You, you put God first, and then, and then you put the people that God has called you to care about second, which is everybody in one way or another, Life will go well. You won't get to escape difficulty, but you won't get undone by it. Let's think about the ways that Ecclesiastes calls us to love our neighbor as ourselves. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed. And they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power, and there was no one to comfort them. And the implied response is, it's not supposed to be this way. Now, that's one of the, 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 the vain things that he finds exist in this world. Life isn't fair. There are disparities. There's injustice. Everything feels like it's out of bounds and all over the place. 
And so if you're attaching your hope to a world that on its own is going to figure out how to get along and get fixed and get everything settled and everybody is going to be equal, then it's a fool's errand and you're chasing the wind, right? That, that's what we saw Wednesday night. But here he's saying there, there's a reason why we ought to look at that and grieve and to be the one who comforts. Because we're keeping the command of God to love our neighbor when we do that. We talked about last Wednesday about how knowledge brings sorrow. And, and you're, you're a very aware generation. Socially aware. Aware of causes and hashtags and headlines that feature this. That feature... Racism, that feature human trafficking, that feature violence. What do you do with that? Well, there, there, are, there are two unhealthy responses to the trouble in the world. One is anxiety. One is that sense of, um, I need to do everything I can to make sure this doesn't happen to me, this doesn't happen to the people around me, and this doesn't happen in life. <laughs> And, and that is a goal that will never be met this side of eternity. But the other is apathy. Like, if it doesn't affect me, it doesn't affect me. Right? If, it, if, if it's not shown up in my existence, if it takes more than two thoughts to even understand, if it feels inconvenient to have to care about that, then I'm not supposed to care. We're called to love our neighbor near and far, like us and unlike us as ourselves. To adopt their interests as ours. We care about people who are suffering and who are oppressed and who are experiencing things that might not touch our world. We're called to love and to help. But then there are ways that love of neighbor, neighbor comes closer to home. He says in verse 4, Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This is also vanity and striving after wind. And in verse 7, Again I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, no other person, either son or brother, yet there's no end to all his toil. His eyes are never satisfied with riches. So that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. So you got these two scenarios he describes. On, on the one hand is, is the person whose work and study and pursuits of their goal are all driven by comparison and envy. And I want to have what they have. I want the attention that they have. And I might pretend to be your friend for a little while while it moves me further. And then I'm done with you when I'm done with you. And when some other opportunity comes along. Some of you have been on the receiving end of that. You know what that feels like. You can't love your neighbor if, if, if you're using them, if, if, they, if, if they're some means to some other end that doesn't help them. And on the other hand, is somebody who's paying so much attention to just, I just want the next thing. I just, you know, the, kind of the, the, the picture of the, the typical kind of like workaholic person living a lonely life is, is what he's describing here. 
Right? You've you got your own version of that that you can be living in during the, these years where the only thing that you're ever paying attention to is just what, what gets me the next step in whatever I like, whatever I want to do, whatever sports team I want to be on. And, and if, if it means you're not giving any attention to your friends, right? If it means that your family is being driven around by your schedule left and right and you don't have any care or concern for that, you, you get caught in a cycle that at some point you have to raise the question, what's this doing? Because because all the people you've left in your wake, it's like, what are you going to have in the end? And so he, he, he puts this in these stark contrasts to clarify. But instead of trying to gain from people, right, that word gain, nothing is ever gained under the sun. Instead of using them for gain, he introduces the benefit of being a friend. Verse 9, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. You can think of a kind of a braided rope that's got three cords together that, you know, it, it, once they're wrapped up inside of one another, it's not easy to tear it apart. And he's describing the benefit of not going alone in life, of having a companion who's not a rung on a ladder to get to the next place or somebody you're just willing to leave behind because it doesn't get you what you want. But, but in moments when when you're weak and moments when you're not all together and mo- moments when you're lousy and a loser, they're there to help you and still care about you and vice versa. This is a way to have freedom and have joy all the vain days of our lives. Look at how uh, David Gibson puts it. He says, if you can live in this world in such a way that the person or people beside you, your friend, your spouse, your children, your brother, your sister, people God has put in your path, are your waking concern and your dominant focus, then you'll find happiness. If your head hits the pillow at night full of questions about how you might help and serve someone else and how you can be a certain kind of person for them, then you will find a gladness and contentment that nothing else can match, right? That's the paradox that Jesus taught. It is better to serve than to be served. You'll actually get joy because it's how the creation operates. It's it's reflected in the God who made you and me, not because he needed us. That's why the world exists. It wasn't God hoping to, to grasp and grab something from lame you and me. It was God sharing his goodness with others. And why Jesus came. And the way that you and I can find joy. Is that what occupies the narrative inside here. Isn't what what can I gain? What can I gain? What can I gain? But God how have you created me to give? Why do my time and talents and personality and opportunities exist? 
How are you going to send me to love those around me and to love them with sincerity and not just how they can advance what I'm after? Right, when friendship isn't trying to fix me, then I can receive it as a gift. We talked about how everything in life, everything in this world, not just the bad stuff, but the good stuff, doesn't satisfy. Including your BFF, who's probably not going to care about you a few years from now, just saying, right? <laughs> but if, if, if I'm not in this for what I can gain or what I can fix or some hole inside of me that could be filled, then I can actually enjoy it for what it is. Limited as it is. Right, our third, third thought. Rejoice in God's gifts. When there's no gain under the sun, doesn't mean there aren't gifts. And gifts are to be enjoyed. He says in chapter 2, verse 24. There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? And he says in chapter 8, verse 15, it sounds like somebody else talking here, but I commend joy because God is after it and he wants it for you. And not just like joy in make sure every moment you're happy, it's because you're singing a worship song. There, there are created goods that, that God has given us, that he has assigned to us, that he's provided for us that are there for, for the taking. All right, a uh, quick trivia moment. Who is it who said this quote here? All right, what is the meaning of all this gluttony, this waste, this self-indulgence? Where did you get all of these things? All right, was that the Apostle Paul who said that? Uh, was that St. Augustine who said that? Was that Mother Teresa who said that? Condemning all this gluttony and nonsense. That was, uh, that was the white witch from the Chronicles of Narnia who said that. Who got that right? Gabe, can you spell Chronicles? Right, so if you, if you, maybe, maybe you've seen the movie, right? This is the evil girl, right? And you can tell kind of from looking at her, she's not having a happy day. Uh, she comes a, a, across these animals and creatures in Narnia who are feasting because they've heard that Aslan is on the move. It's been always winter and never Christmas morning across the land. And yet, the frost is starting to melt. That's a cause to spread a table and pour the wine and share the food and have a feast. And the one who shows up and gets all stingy and annoyed and calls it gluttony is the character who represents the devil. Plot twist, but not really because Jesus was called a glutton and a drunkard as well. Did you, you realize that, 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 that the ways that people criticize Jesus, right? It, it wasn't you're too austere, Jesus. You're too much of a killjoy. That, that's not what his enemy said about him. It's you're hanging out with prostitutes and you're always having meals and why are your disciples eating all the time and you fed 5,000 people and then 4,000 people? What's with all of the food? And pretty much every scene in the Gospels as you track along with Jesus' life, he's eating with somebody and they're having a good time. And yet he was the man of sorrows at the same life. That's Ecclesiastes. 
you can receive these good things as a gift when you know they're not ultimate things. When they are not God, they can be good. And in the same way that those little Narnians were feasting for the future, that, that, that's what we get to do here and now. Right? We had our, our social distance pizza feast. <laughs> it's hard to do that in these days, right? Uh, it's about as close as it comes. But you know, at Lakeview, we like to do a lot of food stuff. And this is one of the reasons why we, we share good things, good flavors, good fellowship, good time with one another. And it's a foretaste of the wedding supper of the land of the Lamb when, when God comes and He will restore all things. Which, by the way, that's what eternity is like. I don't know what you think about when you, you know, we talked about eternity on Wednesday, if that's like Casper the friendly ghost floating around or like the Gerber baby playing a harp and that's what everybody looks like. Uh, that, that's not how the Bible talks about heaven. It talks about a new earth. It talks about Everything that's good and enjoyable and beautiful and exhilarating and pumps your adrenaline here and now with all of the sin and the sadness taken away. That's what awaits us. And so here and now, what do we do? Well, Lemoyne showed up at my house a few nights ago for, for a national ice cream uh, day because they, they, they know about my addiction and they bring ice cream, right? And we enjoy it and we, and we taste good food and we, we have fun together. We do stupid games, right? This is why we do these things because they're good. We entertainment, recreation. These aren't some non-Christian avoid at all costs, but if you go into these things, if you go into relationship, if you one day enter into marriage or start a family and you think it's going to fix what's restless inside of you. You will be sadly disappointed and you will hurt them. You will hurt your spouse if you think that he or she is your soulmate who completes you. Right? You're going to hurt them because they're not supposed to be that. They're not a, a god or a goddess. They are a good thing for now. And so Ecclesiastes says, enjoy it. Enjoy it while it lasts. Laugh together. Tomorrow you might cry. And one day you're going to die. But it's not the end. Even though it's the beginning of the end. Right? That's the only way you can really love. C.S. Lewis makes that point that when we treat natural loves like God's, we might still say that we love them, but really it's a, it's a complicated form of hatred. Right? There, there's, there's nothing more unloving that you can do to someone or something in your life than to make it bear all the weight and the pressure of um, fix my boredom, please. Heal me. Help me. Take me out of a life that sucks. Right? There, there's no other way to do more damage to your neighbor. But you can enjoy your friendships, your relationships, the things that God has put in your life, your Nintendo Switch, your Xbox, if it's not the be-all, end-all, and sucking all the energy from you in the process. Right? 
we can experience these things and enjoy them when we know that they have limitation. And so, I don't know, you know, I, I didn't listen to the, the surprise Taylor Swift album that dropped. Anybody check that out? Was it, did it reward? Was it, was it good or not? You know, well, it's a little mad. Hey, it's okay. You can like it. It's fine. You know, uh, it might be a disappointment. It doesn't undo you, you know. Uh, some of y'all all worked up about One Direction's, uh, you know, 10-year anniversary and just wish that Harry Styles knew your name and was, you know, making little hearts uh, with your name in it. Uh, likely not. That's okay. You can listen to his music. You can enjoy a good time. But sometimes those things are just distractions for a restless heart. And on the other hand, sometimes we're just grumpy pants all the time and, you know, we, we put on a, a front with certain people we want to be around and then you get home with your family and your dad tells a joke and you never crack a smile and it's like, hey, family movie night and you're dragging your feet to that or whatever, right? It's just you're, you're hard to be around because you're, you're too cool or you're too upset or you're too depressed to laugh. You realize that's a spiritual problem? I love how Packer puts it. He says, being too proud to enjoy the enjoyable is a very ugly shortcoming. And one that calls for immediate correction. Let it be acknowledged that as I had to learn long ago, discovering how under God ordinary things can bring joy is the cure for cynicism. All right, final thought for us is to rest in God's judgment. Ecclesiastes 12, 13 through 14. The end of the matter... All has been heard. Fear God. Keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. For, right, you see that word? It's connecting a thought. It's, it's giving you a reason. Why do that? Why is that helpful? Well, for God will bring every deed into judgment. With every secret thing, whether good or evil. So you can rest easy. He's got it all figured out. Even if the math equation can't get worked out in your head. Even if what's unfair and what feels unjust and what seems unaccounted for in this world and this life. And it seems like it's escaped notice and I got to be really frantic. And I got I to get people to sign a thousand petitions about this because we got to fix this. Or I just need a, to, to gain an audience for my own immediate concerns. And so I'm going to gossip around and make sure people know they mistreated me. Did you know about what she did? Oh, have you heard? Oh, we really ought to pray for him. What do we do? We're trying to work this system to fix what feels like it's an imbalance here and now. Because we think no one's watching. Get what you can under the sun because then it's done. And he's saying, no. You don't have to be frantic to fix it right now because it's all being collected. It's all being noticed. It's all being taken care of and not one moment will fall to the ground. Not one sparrow is going to hit the dust without God paying attention. Not one hair on your head will drop that he won't restore to you in the end. Right? There, there's some things that are just unfixable here and now. I saw a news headline which 
makes me really freak out as a parent um, that in Disney, in uh, not 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 in Disney World, it was in, it was in a glass museum in Shanghai. There was a, a a glass replica of the castle that's in Shanghai Disney uh, that was valued at sixty thousand dollars. That these kids were like playing catch with each other and bumped and broke. <laughs> Could you imagine that? Visiting that with your, you know, you, you, you go there with your family and then you get loaded with a $60,000 bill when you go, right? I mean, some things, they just, they're not going to get replaced. They're not going to get fixed. I don't have the resources to fix what just broke. But God does. And he'll put it all right. And he will cause it to all make sense. And he will show how every Time was beautiful in its time. David Gibson writes this, God will retrieve every single injustice, every single time, and every single activity. Every single deed that has ever broken his holy law and tarnished his beautiful world and damaged his image bearers. Every one of those moments will be answerable to God. Every tear and every sighing sorrow for my wrongs, whether through the things I have done or had done to me, each one will be sought out by God who is perfect justice, truth, mercy, and love. It will all go under review and all receive his restoration. And and this is the day that the human heart, with, with that eternity, that total perspective that God took and shoved into the confines of our existence, that's what we ache for when everything will be clear, even if it just feels like an absurd waste. I mean, a lot of life feels like an absurd waste. What, what are you doing, God? What, why is the whole world walking through this right now? Why does it feel like every step forward is three steps back? What does Ecclesiastes tell us about life under the sun? That's normal, but it's not permanent. And so we can be okay. Eric and Dan will come back together up here. It's a call to be faithful, to fear him, to love what he loves, to enjoy what he's given, and to be okay with waiting in what hasn't been provided here and now. What's another way of putting that? If I, if I pick that up and put it in the, in the New Testament and use that language... It's that when we, when we try to do what we can to further our legacy and what we feel like we need to have as our reputation, there's going to be no gain there. But the way that the Apostle Paul puts it is to live as Christ and to die is gain. That's how everything gets transformed. When there's no gain under the sun, to live is Christ. And to die in whatever form it comes, whatever is lost, I don't need to fear, even life itself. Because it becomes gain. And the last...
message that J.I. Packer left to the church, some of his final words were this. Glorify Jesus in every way. And last week he took his final breath. And that's what he lived for. And you know what? It'll be a long time before he's forgotten, but one day he will be. If the Lord tarries, and he would be so okay with that. Because if the spotlight is on Jesus, and if the hope is located in him, and if we're feasting here and now, even in our trouble, because Jesus is returning and he is on the move, and none of the winter of this world will be unaffected by the warmth that he will bring, we can be glad, even in these days. Let's stand up. And the way, the way that I approach preaching, not just talking for a long time. It's with the awareness that you're, you're not going to catch everything because you're not in a place to catch everything. Not every word that was spoken is something that you understand, feels relevant. Here's why I'm okay with that. Because the Holy Spirit has a unique target that looks like you. And he will direct what you need to hear your way and what you need to take. So what was that? I want you to pull that into your mind right now. Tonight, this week, what did you need to hear? What was that moment that felt like, okay, I, I didn't get what you just said, but right there, you just added me on that. You know. We're going to sing in a moment, but I, I want you to be able to interact with God about that as well. I trust his spirit's here, even when our technology doesn't work. So as Ben plays and band leads us, let's, let's respond to God and let's continue to be led by him.